Hello, my name is Ben. And I'm Paul. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague podcast this week. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Ben. Ready to talk about Drive. Yes. Wow. Getting right into it. Right into it. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Speed run. Speed run. (laughs) When you think of the word drive, are you thinking vehicles? Is that what you're thinking? Or do you think uh, of something else? What is your definition of the word drive? Well, you can go so many different ways. I first think of driving a vehicle, definitely. Like drive to survive. F1. Awesome series. New Netflix. Well, new. Well, it's it's uh, they've got three seasons, right, of the Netflix series? Season four coming soon. Yes. Probably by the time this is out. It's uh, going to be uh, March 11th, I believe, there is you go. the uh, premiere. So there's uh, your ad plug for Drive to Survive. Yes, Formula One. Netflix. We are we are not uh, we don't sponsor Netflix or the F1 racing series. Yeah, uh, at least not yet. At least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I think though. Yeah, the Drive to Survive F1 driving. Yeah, I mean, obviously you could just have driving a car down to the supermarket too, but driving around a racetrack is more interesting. So that's right. what I say. Yeah. Right. So you think of the uh, transportation aspect of the word drive, at least initially. Yeah. yeah. What 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 other sorts of because uh, I think of motivation. Yeah, or, that was my or, next spot. Was like ambition or what? Yeah. What drives you forward to exactly. accomplish whatever you want to accomplish? Propel a propelling motion is what what I think of as driving, which you can apply to anything. Yeah, a whole bunch it. of different things. Yeah. An interesting thing about the word drive, its origin is Germanic and uh, old english but it's something that precedes cars obviously when you had carriages introduced that's when that started becoming associated with with that uh probably like 1600s 1700s sure yeah um but before that it referred to cattle and motion related right, sort of yeah. things when i think of drive one of the first things i think of aside from current programs about driving of which there are a lot. There seem to be a lot of, um, I, I think NASCAR is jumping on this F1 sort of, what would you call it? Would you call it a part documentary, part reality show? I think that's fair. Like, uh, yeah. I, I think that's one of the criticisms as this show goes on is the fact that now that it's well known that these participants, these drivers, are going to be more acting doing you know setting things up making the drama sure is that a concern for you as far as the series not a whole lot obviously i'd prefer if they didn't and i know like max verstappen is straight up not even being a part of the series now because of that yeah because of how they portrayed him in season one is kind of like the villain to ricardo so you know that kind of misrepresentation is definitely unfortunate but well especially i think it does drive engagement it gets people involved they want the drama and yeah even if that's what initially gets people interested in the sport and, you know, and then they hang around for the actual real storylines and not that, right. I think then it's still doing its job for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I think F1 attendance, at least in U.S. events, has increased. I don't, don't quote me on this, but I, I've heard that they've increased significantly since the series started. Well, definitely. And now we have a second race in the United States for this coming season. Yeah. And they're even talking about adding a third one uh, in Las Vegas at some point. Oh, wow. So we talked off microphone, I guess, uh, about 
Andretti Autosport possibly getting oh. involved in Formula One. Yes. So yes. more United States involvement, definitely. And even the Formula One media group is owned in the, by someone in the United States or a group in the United States. So it's definitely becoming a bigger part of the culture here, I guess. Yeah. The F1, wasn't that primarily just European uh, participation for the longest time, right? Definitely, yeah. They would go around different you know, European countries, um, South America as well, uh, certain parts in Africa, Asia. But really, America, it wasn't like really big over here. They would actually come here. They had a, a Grand Prix almost every year here. But it's definitely grown a lot more recently. Oh, yeah. Growing up, I would mention Formula One and no one even know what I'm talking about like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Nowadays, people at least have an inclination of it other than like, oh, isn't that like NASCAR or, you know, whatever they they think about it. It's the secret ingredient uh, that they put in the Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's Formula One. Yeah. <laughs> kind of does sound like a mobile, like, I mean, a uh, motor oil. It's either motor oil or it's uh, chicken or it's some sort of a secret sauce, maybe. Or it's some kind of hybrid of both. Yeah, it could be. All-purpose purpo- all <laughs> fluid. It's a, it's a lubricant and a, uh, and a food. One of the things that I think about when I think of the word drive is BMW put out a, a series of very theatrical videos that were 10-minute commercials for various BMW automobiles. So BMW did this back in 2001, 2002, and the series was called The Hire, and it had various high-profile uh, producers, like uh, Guy Ritchie was one of the producers for one of the snippets that starred Madonna, and Clive Owen was the driver. That's He was always, that was his character, he was always referred to as the driver. But one of my favorite, and this is going back to my infatuation with Tony Scott and the way he films things, is... Uh, there was one called Beat the Devil, which starred Gary Oldman as the devil and James Brown as the guy who had the deal with the devil who was starting to get old and he's like, he wants to get a, a new a new contract. And there was a, a thing where he had to, the driver, Clive Owen, had to beat the devil in a race in order to, you know, renegotiate the contract for James Brown. Um, which was a fun, I mean, it was a fun, fun series of, of commercials. Now, Ang Lee did one and, and a couple of other, like, you know, really interesting producers, Spielberg? directors. I'm sorry? Spielberg? No Spielberg. Oh, no. Because that's that a real would, shame. I don't think it is a real shame. <laughs> I think that would basically, that's kind of not the, the, the point. I think they, they wanted to maintain sort of a Pulp Fiction-y kind of feel to them right sure it's sure. kind of it's right it's something that's right up angley and and guy Ritchie and into some a lesser extent tony scott's wheelhouse it's something that's flashy and beautiful and action oriented and has got sort of a, a story to it and it features a different bmw in each <laughs> <laughs> like this this guy is obviously making some serious cash because he's got a fleet of bmws I mean, he's the driver. He is the driver. Very mysterious. Very mysterious. Did you ever watch any, do you like any driving movies? Like, uh, do you watch any Fast and the Furious? (laughs) Fast and the Furious is more of a guilty pleasure, for sure. Okay. Like, especially the early ones. Like, if it's on, I'll definitely leave it on and watch it. It's always fun. Uh, Just don't take it too seriously. No. no. Uh, (laughs) Especially now. 
Yeah. Oh, God. It's turned into something that's like, they're trying to, they kind of go on the Sharknado route. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, okay, see, let's see what crazy friggin' stunt that we can put in this movie. I think they realized that for the most part, they were kind of becoming that outlandish, like, almost meme-ish kind of movie, you know, like where it's just ridiculous. And so they were like, well, let's just dial it up to 11. Right. I haven't seen the newest one, but I heard they launched the car into space and it's like crashing into a satellite or something. I don't even know. Jesus. Yeah. Crazy. For the family, you know. Yeah, of course. Fast and the Furious is, it's a little, I don't know. It's definitely not one of my favorites, but I'll, I'll watch it from time to time. Yeah. But speaking of Drive, Drive is a really good movie. Um, have you ever seen that one? No, is that um, with Ryan Gosling? S- oh, okay. Drawing. I, I don't know why I was thinking Jason Statham. Oh no, yeah, no, he has a similar one. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, uh, Ryan Gosling and Drive. Okay, that's a real good one. As far as like, is that about real racing, sort of like Formula One? No, or? he's uh, so he's actually like a getaway driver. Oh, okay. Yeah, is that like Baby Driver? It's similar. Yeah, a little similar. Uh, yeah. It came out like 2011, though. Drive. Okay. Yeah. And it, yeah, I actually think you would like it. It's a little more like atmospheric, has that kind of just like a very interesting artistic style to it. I yeah. guess like a very slow, drawn out movie, but really good uh, development as well. It's good. You know what? Now that we're talking about driving movies, I don't know why I think of this uh, Die Hard on a Bus. Die Hard on a Bus. Yeah, did you ever see Speed? Yeah, I mean, I thought that's what you were talking about. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was talking about, Die Hard on a Bus. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those things where, is it a trend? Is is driving something that, because back in the, I, I don't know, back in the 90s, 2000s, maybe it was like trying to explore things. You had a lot of movies that focus on car chases and oh, chase yeah. sequences. And I think some of the ones that are done the best are in the more recent Bond movies. Like they do a really good job of setting the pace and setting, you know, that that whole atmosphere of, you know, it's exotic. It feels like F1 almost, right? Because yeah. it's the the locations are exotic and it's winding and it's, you know, it takes a real it, well, it looks to take you got to be talented you know, a lot of talent to maneuver. Sure, yeah, definitely. Do you ever watch Speed Racer? <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I actually saw the uh, remake one that was that came out like oh. was it like a late two thousands or something. Yes. Speaking of guilty yeah. pleasure movies, yeah. Okay, that one so on your list. That one is one of my guilty pleasures. Sure. And I remember a time when on Rotten Tomatoes, it was horrible. Now, not so much. That's that's another thing with these aggregate score sort of websites, right? The way a movie is viewed, I would like to see some sort of representation of, uh, you know, like on a rotten. Oh, tomatoes. like a little like graph or a chart. Yeah, like how it's changed over time. Because yeah. I, I think a lot of it, you know, you've got your things that you know your freshness rating, but that doesn't tell you how that has changed based on the way movie audiences and home audiences view this this picture sure um i think that would be interesting you could probably get it by looking at the 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 times and the dates but it would be cool to have a graphic that represented that there was some sort of graph right yeah like over time people thought this movie was wonderful and then now they think it's horrible and then they think it's great again you know it's like cyclic that'd be really cool actually yeah Yeah. so if you're listening rotten tomatoes (laughs) 
We're going to have to send them an email, I think. An email? I should start my massive letter-writing campaign today. Dear Rotten Tomatoes. I have a great idea, and I will give it to you if you give me something not made of tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talked about guilty pleasure movies with, uh, with the Fast and the Furious. Yes. And how ridiculous those have gotten. I don't know if you remember the series, the original, the cartoon series of Speed Racer. The Speed Racer movie came out in 2008. And that was a Wachowski Brothers back in the Wachowski Brothers days. Now sure. The Wachowski sisters. Anyway, Speed Racer was known as Mach Go 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 in Japan. But it's Speed Racer in the U.S., and it was a cartoon that came out, and this is pretty amazing. It was in the 60s, in the late 60s is when this series, and so it's, the the animation is very rudimentary, and it does have a lot of interesting sort of cartoonized, cartoony, uh, you know, like the main character, Speed Racer, and the drama is, his brother who's estranged who you know disappeared and luke um your father like it, it's kind of like racer x is his brother <laughs> oh, okay right right spoiler oh, alert. no i actually i remember that even from the remake I think. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 it was just an interesting sort of animation um but the fun part was sort of it maybe in the spirit of video games it had kind of a feel like all the things that he had on his race car were ridiculous. These were all rally and, and some some rally races, some, you know, F1 style races. They brought their car and it had all sorts of fancy mechanisms on it, like a bird that would go out and scout or, you know, it would have the, the, the thing. The rims with the needles on it or whatever. Right, right. right. Or yeah. it would jump. It'd have the little thing that would, you know, cause it to jump a yep. big spring thing yeah, and it yeah, would yeah. make this poof, 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 poof noise when it flew through the air and you always had these really evil drivers that were always wearing masks and capes and stuff and it was like you know we're the robotic corrective team ah, you know just ridiculous but trying to capitalize on the whole world racing thing and it was back in like i said the 60s I didn't see it until the 80s and on television and it's just something that I loved. Just it was ridiculous but also it felt video gamey to me in a time where that wasn't quite at the level of video games. There was a Speed Racer video game that came out but man, I think if you're looking for a property to to make a video game of as far as a racing game with a lot of really interesting dynamics I think uh, something like that would be a cool driving kind of game. Yeah, if they came out with a modern one, I think that would actually be a really big hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, do you, what do you think of, uh, so so we've got um, driving sort of, do you think of golf at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one of the things I thought of when I was like, hmm, what are the different meanings of drive? Like right. obviously drive a golf ball. Right. I also thought like, driving with like a hammer and nails or yeah you know. there's also a line drive in baseball that's true there's a there's a there isn't driving like what you do in football that's true um, go on to drive there's that's a true. lot of sports related items um as far as movement propelling it's i don't know much about golf 
I do occasionally play a golf game just to kind of like, cause there's a lot of, it's, it's kind of a technical sort of thing, right? Where you have to, uh, it's very game. It's, it, it's a, well, I don't know. It's a sport, but it's kind of, when you play it as a video game, it's kind of satisfying because a lot of there's angles and there's wind and there's all sorts of like, you use the certain clubs, the driver, being one of those clubs, also known as the one wood, yes, is that um, the other are supplemental clubs. Anything that's uh, a number beyond or higher than one is is considered is not considered a driver. The one wood, that's your driver. Um, that's about the extent of my knowledge of golf. <laughs> that and what I've played in various golf games over the years, but it's like it's something where. I don't play the PGA. I don't follow the PGA. I'm not a big golf fan. I can appreciate a good golf game or a good golf score. But for me, it's all about mini golf, and that doesn't involve the driver. That involves putting. And if you're putting in a car, that's generally not good. No. No. You're, going, mean, you're going slow. Yeah. I've played VR golf. That was fun. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so especially since we're going to be eventually talking about virtual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On an upcoming show, I think we got a lot to talk about. But yeah, virtual. Virtual uh, golf. Yeah. yeah. Do you just pick the club and then. Yeah, uh, you can you can choose like either the driver or, you know, like an iron, I guess, or okay. whatever. And then you can, uh, it all like tracks your hand movement. Right. With the little like PlayStation move controller. Okay. So this yeah. is a PlayStation game. Yeah. Is it an exclusive or is it? Yeah. Everybody's golf, I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clap hands golf is okay. So the same company that make everybody. Everybody's golf makes clap hands golf, which is what I played on my iPad. Okay. That is a real enjoyable sort of. It's got cartoony characters, yeah. right? You got your different caddies, and you do things like going around the world to play these different tournaments. But yeah, it's if it's the same folks, yeah, everybody's yeah. golf. And that sounds like everybody's golf yep. too. It's the it's same exactly. kind of concept. Unfortunately, the thing with the iPad is it, you got to have an arcade subscription. And since that was one of the only games that I found compelling of that whole catalog, it was kind of like it's not worth it to just pay five bucks a month for that. Yeah. it's. I love Apple Arcade, but the problem is the games that are coming out with it, they're not coming out with the frequency I would like to justify a $5 a month price tag. Especially when you got something like Game Pass, which is a much more – I mean, not that I have it because I've got a PlayStation – but something like that is a much larger bargain, right? Because you're getting a lot more stuff. Yeah. And the Apple Arcade was kind of a good idea, but it's just, you know. I not developed know. enough. Yeah. I mean, not developed for enough. They're not getting, you know, like the exclusives. I mean, Platinum Games put out a game that uh, was kind of a cool sort of, uh, you know, uh, are you familiar with Platinum? No. They, they made, uh, I believe... The games that they are involved with, like Bayonetta, like uh, some other, you know, like really flashy kind of strange universe kind of games. They're generally, Platinum Games are pretty good. So Platinum Games is a company that was formed in Japan in uh, 2007. I think some folks from Capcom left and, and started this company it kind of composed of two different companies. But they're big. Maybe uh, Nier Automata. Did you ever play Nier mm -hmm. Automata? That was a, a, one, of their, one of their properties. They also had a really cool game called The Wonderful 101, 
which is uh, a game that was originally made for the Wii U, <laughs> which took advantage of a lot of the things that you could do on the Wii U as far as interacting with the screen and drawing things and stuff. They did put out a special edition on the PlayStation 4, which is a big surprise, but trying to use the, the pad to do all the drawing can be a little tricky. But Platinum Games, they also made um, Astral Chain for the Nintendo Switch that just came out. Oh, uh, Bayonetta, my very favorite angel-killing witch who has a suit made of her own hair mm. game. Very weird. Smelly. Very, it's very much like a Devil May Cry. In fact, I think uh, some of the people that worked on Devil May Cry also worked on Bayonetta. And then also was the other one. Vanquish was a game that came out in, in 2010 that was also a really cool kind of bullet time robot kind of game. What was I talking about? Platinum games. Platinum games. Well, what was what was the Platinum games having to do with? <laughs> Drive. Driving? <laughs> it was Apple Arcade. There were, yeah, there was yeah, a yeah. game there was a game that came out called World of Demons that was very cool and I'm a Platinum fanboy. So I picked up World of Demons. And that that's fun, but it's like, you know, is it worth the money to just have one or two games that I play? And there were some games I played through. There's a Castlevania game that was one of these things that obviously was made for a market that was the mobile market as it exists if you just buy the game, right? Sure. It's got your storefront. You can buy your currency. You can get extra things. It's a lot of pay-to-win stuff. But it's obvious that those were the models that were in place when they developed these games. But since Apple Arcade bought them, they feel out of place. So a lot of the same things are in place. There's also a Star Trek game that does that, where it's Star Trek uh, Generations. It's a turn-based sort of game where you collect the different Star Trek members and you have them face off against others. But they have a lot of things in place that makes it feel like it's, it feels like it was designed for that. And what happens when you go on an Apple Arcade? You pull all that stuff out because it's a monthly service. And that's probably something in the contract that says that they can't make money in addition to that. That's a completely different discussion about whether or not that's good for the industry or not. Not a lot of driving games on there either. A couple, but they were just kind of like, eh. Yeah. Well, I think it's t uh, probably a little tricky, though, with Apple to make like a good driving game without having the controller. Yeah. There was a Need for Speed one that I used to play occasionally on the phone that was kind of, you know, fun because you, you could use the tilt oh, right, yeah, okay. to actually drive, which was kind of, it was fun. And then you once you're done with the fun, you you just use the screen like everyone else. Yeah, it seems a little gimmicky for yeah, sure. How, yeah. would, how would you be able to see kind of when the whole screen's rotating? Right, exactly. Anyway, golf. That was the whole thing that started off this going down the Apple rabbit hole. But your experience with the golf, there's also Wii Golf, right? Wii Golf, yeah. Yeah, that's another one of those ones where it was like you use the Wii Motes to, to simulate a, a golf thing. Yep. But that's not what I want to talk about as far as driving. No. I don't want to talk about the Major League Baseball, the line drive either. Nah. To my brother's chagrin, who's a big baseball fan. <laughs> what I want to talk about do you have any driving stories, like driving cross-country? Have you ever drove cross-country? Uh, no. No? No. What's the longest trip you've ever taken in, in your car? Mm, honestly, it's probably like from here to Vegas. Oh, okay. Yeah, not too far, but okay. like six hours. Yeah. Seven hours, I guess. There's nothing like a good road trip. 
yeah. think sometimes. I think the longest I've taken was from Illinois when I moved out here to Arizona. Oh, was wow. The, yeah. It's like, it was, what, 2,000 miles or something? Oh, jeez, like yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, and it took about uh, three, I, I think I took four days. Probably could have made it in three. Next to that, the longest trip I took in a car, back when I drove a car, was um, from here to Mountain View in the Silicon Valley. Oh, okay. Uh, back when I worked for the company that I met your father at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, trips. Road trips are, can be fun. So you never went cross-country with family or anything like that? Not in a car, no. No. Okay. We might have had like one longer trip than what, than what I said, but I can't really think of it offhand. Yeah. Okay, so here's another drive question. Sure. When you are flying an airplane, are you driving an airplane? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that's tough. I think that's like asking if a hot dog's a sandwich. Yeah. Like, like you kind of are, but not really. Sort like, of? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, you are like, as you said, like. Piloting. Pi- yeah. Well, then, you know, piloting, going back to F1, that's actually a term used by a lot of countries for the drivers is, is pilots. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe there is a little overlap there. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you are kind of driving if it's in the air. It's just that you're preparing, propelling it along uh air as opposed to the ground or whatever but is it really that different yeah hmm. Hmm. it's hard to say no yeah. you mentioned drive to survive the netflix series yeah do you follow the racing circuit yeah i do okay yeah so f1 racing what are your thoughts on that versus something like nascar obviously there's there's some big differences um biggest that i could say is obviously the size of the cars the styles of the cars but the thing with F1 is it's, un well, not unregulated. It's actually very regulated. But the teams can come up with different styles for their cars, different um, philosophies for the cars, whereas NASCAR is pretty set in stone. Right. Uh, it's a spec series. Right. Uh, much in the way that IndyCar is, the cars that do, like the Indianapolis 500. Right. Uh, that's also a spec series. Everyone, for the most part, has the same thing. But with Formula One, a big part of it is developing your car and getting every bit of the aerodynamics to work in your favor. I mean, just all of it. There's a lot more flexibility. Um, you know, the style of the wings, the design philosophies of like the side pods or the suspensions, as long as it's within the overall technical regulations, you have a lot of leeway there. Right. Which is what makes it really interesting to me because certainly part of the success that a, team or a driver has is because of the driver but a big chunk of it is because of the team's ability to develop a car right so how is it interesting if you've got a car that can go what is the top speed of an f1 racer is it like somewhere in the neighborhood of 210 or yeah that's pretty accurate i okay. think the fastest they go is like 215 okay yeah depending yeah. on the track and the configuration of the wings and everything right you have, yeah drag and right. everything but, but the top speed is generally yeah around in there in the, around 215 220 okay are, are there safety standards that are adhered to in the f1 series because I remember seeing the show with the Haas vehicle that got torn in two, right? Yeah. That was, was it last season that that happened? The year before, 2020. Yeah. yeah the really weird uh, COVID shortened year. Yeah, the short, yeah, yeah that, with that Roman season. Grosjean. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
standards that the the different car designers have to adhere to. How much more flexibility do you really have in F1? You know, like if you've got a car that can go 250 miles an hour and you're going against another car that can go only 230 miles an hour, the 250 mile an hour car has the advantage or is that false? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Only that the, I would say the differences are much smaller. Okay. Yeah. So pretty much the edges that you're trying to get over your opponents are much more in the magnitude of like maybe two, three miles per hour. Okay. I mean, maybe some of the cars, like the high end versus the very back markers, you might see a bigger spread than that. Right. But uh, in general, you know, if you're looking at like the fastest lap times, you're looking at like maybe a second, a second and a half spread for like usually the top, I would say half of the field. Okay. So, and you know, you're looking at a three and a half, four and a half mile circuit. So for, you know, one second difference, that's really not that big of a difference. Um, so, you know, all those design philosophies and everything, that's where you get that last like one second difference or whatever. Right. Certainly yeah. a lot of it is regulated, as you said, with that crash. Um, a big part of why Grosjean was able to walk away from that crash was because F1 implemented the halo system, the little bar that goes above the helmet of the driver. Okay. Um, it's something they just just introduced in 2018, and it's a good thing that they did because previously there was nothing obstructing the helmet from the front of the car, right? So if you have that car, a Formula One car, slam into a fence or a barrier like his did, nothing's going to be stopping the barrier from hitting his helmet and, you know... Taking his head off. Yeah, essentially. Or at the very least, inflicting a very, very huge traumatic hit, which unfortunately happens from time to time in Formula One and right. other motorsports, but Formula One's one of the ones that uh, gets brought up. Yeah, wasn't that the same season when one of the F2 or one of the lower lower drivers... Yeah, that was the year before he okay. passed away. Yeah, yep. yeah. They introduced this halo system, which is like a really strong reinforced i don't know what type of metal it's like titanium or something but that's that stops the impact with the driver's head yeah either from a a fence or like a tire that breaks off of its tether because right we've unfortunately seen drivers die from that as well getting hit in the head with either a wheel or a piece of nose cone um, has happened like a piece of the front wing right Uh, even a spring off of another car has flown off and hit a driver, and he didn't die, but he ha- he was out for months yeah. uh, with brain injury. So, oh wow, yeah. So there are, there are definitely regulations that they put in that are like no flexibility there. You have to have the halo, and usually like a part like that is does is designed by either one team or one company, and it's really heavily heavily regulated. Right. But so why did it? There were people talking about on that episode that the vehicle itself shouldn't have been sheared in two. I mean, it was definitely a surprise. Uh, I don't know a whole lot. As far as my understanding, it actually kind of, like the vehicle itself didn't necessarily behave as it should, but the the monocoque or the chassis is Uh what it's called. Yeah. That part of it did behave correctly because it it withstood the force of the hit. Uh-huh. Um, and it stayed intact. The The back half of the car where the fuel cell is is what ripped open, and that's why there was a big, big fire. fireball, and it looked yeah. you know horrible. And obviously, it was horrible. The driver actually got really bad burns on his hands. Yeah, but he walked away from it. But he did walk away from it, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah I saw thing. that, and I saw that whole thing where he was 
and it was like what was going through his head at the time. And the, this is the kind of the the dramatic piece of that whole show that kind sure. of has kind of a draw. How he wanted to walk away from the crash to assure his wife and his yeah. family that he was okay. And I'll say it was terrifying. You know, I watched that one in real time. Yeah. Uh, I was up at like seven in the morning or whatever it was to watch that race. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah, because it was in Bahrain, which is like on the other side of the world. Yeah, You know, in the live feed, they weren't showing him at all. They weren't showing the the outcome of the accident at all. Because they were expecting the worst, probably. Right, right? and they don't, you don't want to be showing that on live TV unless you know he's okay. Right. And, you know, it was about two and a half minute, three minute gap. So for a viewer, I was thinking the worst. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want to temper that and not go in that direction and always hope for the best. But, you know, unfortunately, it is a dangerous sport and we've seen stuff like that happen. Yeah. And so, my initial reaction was that we had just saw it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's. I think that in that episode that they really captured that the length of time there because it felt it felt it felt even very though, long. Yeah, even though it was just a, a couple of minutes, it felt incredibly like painfully long. Yeah, like even just not seeing him move, the, there was no movement in that cockpit when you looked at the accident. And I, I know this is what they were the medical guys were saying too at first is they didn't know where the driver was. They didn't know if he was in the back half of the car or if he was still in the front half or right because there was just both, flame. You know, unfortunately, yeah, they really had no clue. And I think eventually they saw him struggling to get out of the chassis and knew that's where he was. Right. But, wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. How, how often do things like that happen in F one racing? Uh, and I guess how often do those things happen in uh, in uh, NASCAR? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, definitely big accidents aren't a rarity. Um, there'll definitely be a big accident from time to time where you'll see a guy get sidelined or at least be out for a race or two. Right. Whether it be because of a broken finger or something. Collarbone. Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say finger, but, you know, leg, whatever. Right. Um you do have a hand injuries as well because of the force of the wheel, you know, snapping from the hits on the wall and stuff. So that is a concern. But as far as fatal accidents go, the last one, like you said, was the driver in the lower ranked series in mm -hmm. tw uh, 2019. There was also another driver in 2014 who crashed into one of the service vehicles oh, wow. on the track, one of the big old cranes that mm -hmm. hadn't left the track yet. Um, was that during a practice run or was that? No, it was during a race. Yeah. Um, there had been a crash and, uh, he pretty much just lost control on a slick part of the track cause it had been raining oh, is Jesus. my understanding. Yeah. I actually wasn't following the series very heavily at that point, but, uh, right. but yeah, he hit the back of it and went into a, a coma for like seven or eight months and then Before eventually that. passed away. Yeah. yeah. And then before that, it wasn't until actually uh, Ayrton Senna, if you've ever heard of him, he's like one of Formula One's, like Michael Jordan's essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but he died in 1994. Right. Uh, so it was, it's definitely oh, a little yeah. more spread out. But 94, wasn't, um, what was it? Oh, geez. They Schumacher? Were, yeah. Yeah, they were rivals that year, and it was kind of like the passing of the torch yeah, from Senna that, to Schumacher. I saw that uh, there was a, a separate documentary, I believe, on Netflix about uh, Schumacher. Uh, wasn't he back in F1 for a little while, or for coming back? For Senna, or? No, 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 Schumacher. I thought he, he came back. Right? Yeah, he, he came back in the 2000s, but uh, this was back in 1994. Right, right. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. That's, that's when he when he started winning his first, right? Yeah, 94 was, he, was yeah. his first year. Yeah, and it was kind of like there was a little dust up between him and, and 
Senna, right? Yep. They were pretty much duking it out between the two of them all season long. Schumacher actually had the upper hand, and Senna was starting to get a little desperate yeah. uh, in the championship. Pretty much needed to have a good race. And, uh, yeah, in one of the races, he was pushing really hard and just crashed at, like, really high speed into the wall. Yeah. You know, you mentioned NASCAR, too. I wanted to answer that. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think NASCAR has had a fatal accident since Dale Earnhardt. Oh. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. The biggest thing with him was not wearing what's called a Hans device. Okay. A head and neck support, I think is what it's called. Right. Is what keeps your head, like where it is right uh, in case you get like a huge impact on the front especially where your head's launching forward right uh dale earnhardt didn't want to wear one it was actually available at the time it wasn't regulated or mandatory he didn't wear it thought it was kind of like against the nature of the sport then after that they kind of changed a bunch of rules to make it you know safer and more regulated in that regard it's not an option but yeah, I don't think NASCAR, I could be wrong in that, but they haven't had any since then. No no fatals, but definitely crashes. Definitely crashes. How many crashes are due to part failures and technical failures versus the failure of the driver? Is there a way to, uh, do they assess those things? Yeah, they do. And uh, especially at Formula One, uh, there's so many sensors on the car that they can easily tell okay uh, if there's a failure in a part or if it was a driver error gotcha yeah um, and i will say like the part failures are definitely more dangerous because uh, mm-hmm. they're unexpected so right, right you know you could like actually this last year with verstappen he was going down the main straightaway in azerbaijan and it's well over 200 miles an hour it's i think the longest straight on the calendar uh-huh. and his back tire blew out Oh, wow. While he was on the main straightaway. So he veered off and smacked into the wall at like 200 miles an hour. Oh, jeez. Thankfully, he walked away from it and was fine. But, yeah. you know, that's one of those instances where there was a part failure. Yeah. We've seen brake failures, especially at tracks where it gets really hot. And the track temperatures can be like over 140 degrees or something ridiculous. And of course, driver errors happen as well. Usually when drivers are trying to pass each other or if they're distracted because um, there's so many different little like knobs and controls on the steering wheel that they have to change while they're driving, which is pretty crazy. But fuel and brakes and yeah, fuel flow, uh, they can change like, jeez, I don't want to say stuff they can't change, but it's you know they could change like uh, suspension, small suspension settings, and like the brake bias, brake right. pressures. Yeah, there are some things where technology is challenged in in the race, right? Like, wasn't there something with Mercedes made some changes to their vehicle with the brake system or something a while back that were kind of like, I don't know if this is legal. I will say, yeah. And when you have the regulations like that and everybody's trying to get that last second advantage, like I was talking about. Right. You definitely have guys that are pushing or teams that are pushing the the rules a little. Uh And usually what ends up happening is you have a team that finds some type of loophole that gives them enough of an advantage to where, you know, it's significant, like it's a second or so a lap where where you multiply that over 60 laps or so, you're looking at at least a minute ahead of the rest of the t- uh, field. Right. Um, so what ends up happening with this, a lot of the times, rather than being praised for being innovative, it's usually banned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is what's kind of funny because Formula One is kind of about that innovation right and creating these oh we didn't think about that right. kind of ideas right 
But then if they're too good, you kind of have to like curtail it a little bit because nobody wants to watch one team just drive around aimlessly, you know, way faster than the rest. You want good racing. Team Red Bull has made some significant over the season of the F1 Drive to Survive series some significant improvements, right? As far as their their overall team and being a competitor with the likes of someone like Mercedes, who sure. pretty much for a while there was just the only winner. Yeah, Mercedes have been top of the charts since they, they started the uh, turbo hybrid era is what they call it in yeah. uh, 2014. And that's 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 when uh, that wasn't uh, Schumacher uh, driving for them and was right before by... that. Yep, yep. The yeah. season right before that was Schumacher's last season, and then Hamilton Hamilton came in. in and as a rookie and no yeah uh, Hamilton actually he started in two thousand seven. Okay. And uh, with McLaren. Oh, okay. He almost won the championship his first year. He actually lost it by one point. Okay. Uh, to Kimi Raikkonen. Okay. For Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, and then Hamilton won it in his second year. The very next season, he won it. Gotcha. Um, so at that point, he was already like five, six years into his career. He was established as a... Definitely. A, as a driver. He was... When he was coming in, like people knew about him in the Formula One circles before he even raced in F1. He was like... I, I said Michael Jordan before, but he was kind of like the LeBron James of F1. Like okay. everybody knew that this guy was going to be the real deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least expected him to be the real deal. And then he did live up to the hype. Right. Is he reaching the end of his career? How long do careers go in something like F1 or something like NASCAR? He is. Uh, he is kind of at the end of it. If I were to guess, I would say anywhere in the next two, three years, he'll probably hang it up. Retire. Yeah. Oh. You do have some guys that go a little older. I think Schumacher actually was like 42 when he uh, finished the second time at least. Right. Um, so what what is the what is the issue as far as the hand eye coordination or is yeah it, what, I, th- what is I think it? it is I think it's reflexes it's the it's also the amount of resources you have to put into it to be competitive um, you have to train you have to make sure your body fats at a really low percentage and you know make sure that you're staying in shape and training your neck muscles like it's a whole bunch of things that go beyond the racetrack right but it is also that it's the hand-eye coordination isn't as good as you get older yeah and uh i think it's just harder to keep up with it you know it's a really demanding sport yeah um that requires a lot of time so you consider driving the sport i do absolutely okay even nascar yep even nascar you know growing up i didn't i didn't really think of it like that uh i thought it was you know an impressive thing to do but a feat to more of a a marathon right Right. you know but it was like oh well the car's doing the work you're just driving it but no so i'm so wrong there (laughs) well physics has a big part to play on the impact of the body as far as just natural things going on well and you don't you know you don't really have power steering at all like you're just having to turn the car yourself and Beyond that, just the track temperatures, like we mentioned, they can get ridiculously hot to where drivers lose like up to 10 pounds per race even. And these guys aren't exactly heavy to begin with, so yeah. it's pretty substantial. Have you ever wanted to go to like a uh, a NASCAR or a, do they have F1 racing um, camps or, or things like, you know, they've got the NASCAR experience where you can go and drive a NASCAR. Do they have the same equivalent for F1? So as far as I know, not for like F1 itself. Uh, just because, because it's so expensive, right? It is so expensive. The cars themselves are like even just a regular car, excluding R&D and all those ex- extra costs. 
a car is anywhere around like 10 to 15 million just for the actual sitting car. What is that in comparison to a NASCAR? Uh, I actually don't know offhand. I okay. would assume a NASCAR is probably closer to like two, three million. Okay. Th- that's pure guess. I have no idea. Gotcha. Um, but even with an F1 car, a lot of the cost is how many people you need to have around to run the thing. Uh, they, you, you can't just start it up. You have to like get the car up to a certain temperature some other way first. And it has to be like started usually through a computer, I think. It, there's a whole bunch of different things, but you can't just like rent a car, step it into it, and start it. You know? Right. Whereas whereas NASCAR is more... It's closer to that, I right. guess. You know, you still do need a team to, to run the whole thing, but... You've got your entry level, your... Are they called F2? Yep. Like, okay, so they is there an F3? Is there, there is. A, okay. A down to F4, I think, is the, like, entry level, so okay. to speak. I would say that an F4 level car is probably not the same technology as an F1 level no, car. No, yeah, definitely not. So wouldn't they be able to do an F1 experience with an F4 sort of vehicle? Kind yeah, of like, they do, actually. Okay, uh, They okay. do have little driving schools where you can get in with, uh, like, essentially an F4 car, and uh, I think to start, you just, you know, you have to go through a lot of class, so right, to speak. Right. Because you have to learn the the flags and the etiquette of the road and everything. It's very serious, obviously. Right. You do eventually get to go out, like, with a pace car and just follow them around, I think, to start. And then eventually, I don't know if you ever get to drive, like, full tilt, but. Right. What do the F4s go, you think? Ooh. Probably like uh, hundred and I'm thinking like way at one fifty, one sixty, something yeah, like that. I was thinking one sixty. Okay, so that's there, there's kind of a, a a ten fifteen mile an hour jump per level, maybe. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, um, if we transition to video games here, because yeah. this is kind of appropriate <laughs> for what we're talking about with driving vehicles, you have a driving setup at home. Yes. And you were talking about a a racing program or a racing series or a racing game that you play. What is this game? Yeah, this is called iRacing. Okay. Uh, it's been around for a while in different iterations. Um, I mean, it's always been the same. There's no like iRacing 2 or 3, whatever. It's not a yearly release. But uh, basically, it's just this, I, or, uh, it's this racing service on computers. You have okay. to have a PC. Pretty much gives you as close to a full-on simulation as you can have, while also still having multiplayer experience. Okay. There are certain simulators that are supposedly closer to the real simulators that racing teams use. Of course, they're never going to be the exact same because racing teams put it their own like touches on everything. Right. Right. Um, and like, actually, the programs that they use aren't even available to the public. But iRacing is a pretty good compromise of getting a very simulation type feel while also having multiplayer races that are also sanctioned and moderated so you don't just have guys slamming into you or crashing you on purpose right because they simply can't keep up or whatever right or doing it maliciously or trolling exactly yeah yeah trolling by destroying a 15 million dollar vehicle is kind of yeah, not going to happen in real life. I guess it depends on how rich you are, really. <laughs> um, my question to you, you said you have all these different controls and you can control the different things about the car. Is that available in, in iRacing? Or is it a simplification of the whole process of racing? Yeah, it's very abstracted, for okay. sure, okay. iRacing. Um, there are some of it, like some of it you can change. 
unfortunately, because of like the level of complexity that an F1 steering wheel has, they can't represent all of that. Right. They do have some of it, like some of the main features, uh, such as like changing the brake pressures or, uh, well, deploying DRS, like the drag reduction system that opens the rear wing. Right. Um, and allows you to go faster. Um, there's like little implementations like that. You can also change a lot of the settings yourself, uh, like ride height and camber, all that. Okay. From the main menu, but not like while you're in the car. Something that's a simulation like that. Are there hardware failures? Are there things that happen in the real life that are simulated? Or are they basically you have this piece of equipment and you drive it like it would be in perfect condition the entire race? And that's Yeah, it. so you pretty much have you don't really have hardware failures in the sense of, you know, oh the the electrical compu- component on my, you know, car has failed or something. They don't right. simulate that. Yeah. If you bump the wall or whatever, you do take damage. Right, right. There know, is a damage component. Sure. Right. And also you can actually break your engine as well. Like if you downshift Cer- certain cars have like the downshift protection, but it's they try to make it somewhat realistic in that if the car in real life doesn't have downshift protection, you know, if you're going like 100 miles an hour in fourth gear and try to downshift twice real quick into second, you will blow the motor. Right. And it, but those are all human errors. Right. right. Yeah. They don't, they don't simulate like, yeah, like you said, or like, oh, there's a radiator leak or something, you right. know, and the car's going to have to retire. Yeah. No, there's nothing like that. Oh, there are pits, though. There are pits, yep. And they even go up to the, they even have like 24 hour long races too. Oh, this wow. service where players from different parts of the world can join on the same team. You can be even, you know, in the same area too. But a lot of teams will do it where they're in different time zones. Okay. So that you don't have a guy that's racing from 3 a.m. to like 8 a.m. or whatever. When right. he's doing his stint, it's just a normal time for him or whatever. Right. But yeah, they do like big old events like that. Uh, they do like an Indy 500 when it's the the week of the Indy 500, and same yeah. thing with Daytona for NASCAR. Yeah, there's definitely a really interesting community there. Yeah, are there actual drivers? Yeah, and that's one of the coolest parts of the service. I think um, it's rare, but you you can run into them. Yeah, um, I'd say it happens more like in practice sessions because I think they just want to drive around or whatever but uh especially like max verstappen super active on the service oh okay yeah he's even a part of uh team redline it's one of the like uh sim racers or right whatever you know virtual racing he's on that team and you know they, they do all those like really big events like the 24 hour long races and whatnot oh. um you don't run into them too often, or at least I don't, because it is usually breaking up in skill levels. Like there's like points right. that you get for finishing higher in each race. For instance, like I have like around I think twelve hundred is my my racing level, my okay. racing rating, and Max Verstappen is at like almost nine thousand. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> with the best all time is like ten or eleven thousand. So he's like really high up there. Right. Yeah, and I think it's like 90% or lower than 2,000. That's interesting because I did see a little snippet on YouTube, and I'm not sure if it was affiliated with the Red Bull Racing Team or not, but it was a guy who was talking with Max Verstappen about simulators. And could there conceivably be someone who started out on a simulator and made it into an F1-style racing contract or 
is it's always going to be you've got to go from carts to you know the f4s to the like you know go through that whole thing would there possibly be a champion that's never driven a f1 who just started on simulators would that be a path i think that the odds are really really low yeah for that i wouldn't rule it out um but for instance there was a news story about a guy who who was a sim racer on youtube uh, who had just got, I think, an F3 contract for this coming season. It's okay. either, either F3 or F4. And people were starting to bring that up, actually. You know, like, oh, this is like that path of sim racing to realistic actual racing. Yeah. The only caveat with that is that he actually was in karting as a kid. So even though he is coming from sim racing, he still Yeah, he's not actually coming from sim racing. Right. Right. I think karting is such a big part of it. You know, I haven't done like shifter karts or like really competitive karting or anything, but kart, so I'm only speaking kind of like anecdotally, not even of myself here, but karting gives you that feel of the car a lot more than like sim racing can yeah you know you feel the back end slipping out on on a corner or you can feel the understeer whatever it is and that's that kind of experience that you need that you just don't get uh from sim racing unfortunately uh the only thing that you have with sim racing is the wheel there's no you know back seat to feel when the you know you're at the limit where the car is going to spin or whatever Right. The only the only information you get from the road, the virtual road, is through the wheel, which it can communicate enough to give you a good experience, but I don't think it's enough to where it's like realistic. You can, you can develop into the best racer. Yeah, you yeah. Could, I, I think as haptic technology gets better, you you'd be able to simulate that kind of feedback more accurately, but it's still not going to be able to simulate things like g forces or the physical actual you know problems that you have with things like that those things yeah i can't be accurately simulated and then also what i was saying before about the the failure like hardware failures right can you simulate something like that i mean i don't really think you know without having a switch that just randomly has yeah. these things going on. You, you can't, you know, th- th- there's benefit in knowing how to recover from a situation where there's a failure of sure. some sort, right? Yeah. Or how to compensate. And I think that's also lost. Definitely. Although, is that a realistic thought? Um, I don't know F1 racing to the point where I can say that there are situations where someone has co- overcome some sort of adversity in a hardware failure it happens for sure. Um, you know, I think in the newer, more recent years, it doesn't happen quite as much uh, yeah. because cars are more reliable. But it doesn't mean that doesn't happen. Even a couple of years ago, Daniel Ricciardo was driving for Red Bull. It's all this is all captured very nicely in Drive to Survive, right? Season one, right? The season one, yeah. <laughs> yeah but he's at Monaco, um, which is a notoriously hard track to pass on. Even that being the case, he had engine difficulties with his car so where he was probably at like 75 percent 80 percent power and he was leading the race at the time and they were you know he was asking the pits is there anything i can do is it going to get better and they told him no you should expect it to be at this level for the rest of the race do what you can and yeah he had to drive defensively know that it's hard to pass there's only a couple opportunities and if you put your car in the right spot 
those opportunities go away completely. So as long as you manage it right, like you said, you can kind of subvert some of those things. Some of it, you know, with the when the engine just completely explodes, there's nothing you can do. You're right, done for exactly. the day. That's it. You're done. But there are certain circumstances where you can keep it going and kind of mitigate it. Even, you know, two years ago, Lewis Hamilton, last lap of the race, he's in first place leading and his tire blows out of the British Grand Prix. And, you know, for many drivers, that would probably be the end of the race, even if it is the last lap. You know, there actually were other drivers in that race that blew their tires in the last laps of the race and they just were done. But Hamilton, being the driver that he is, kept it going, pushed through his tire literally flopping around on top of the wheel and still won the race <laughs> with like five seconds to spare for Stappen oh, wow. was catching him. Yeah, yeah. but. But still, I mean, it, those, like you said, those are those things that you can't really simulate, at least not very well. Yeah. And I think when you add that with the physical part of it, right? you know, it's hard enough to hit an apex, at least for me, to hit the apex of the corner in the perfect spot, you know, to lose the least amount of time, so to speak. And it's hard to do that just sitting in my chair at my house, right? you know, where right. I can take a break and sip some water, whatever. Right. These Maybe. guys are strapped in, have helmets on, so their visibility is already reduced. Right. And Maybe. furthermore, they're hitting the brakes going from like 200 down to like, you know, let's, let's say 60 miles an hour. Yeah. You have to keep your head steady and not from, you know, smashing into the actual dashboard or whatever. Right. And then while doing that, still keep your eye on the road ahead of you and hit the right spots, accelerate right. at the right time, and push the limits, of all of everyone it. around you. So and you that, know. yeah. Yeah, you watch it on you know TV and you see a guy slam over into somebody else. And it's like, oh, how did he not see him right there? But you know, when you're in, strapped in the car going 200 miles an hour, it's a lot harder for right. sure. Exactly. And I think another, another uh, hurdle for that is the caliber of driver has got to be different on a simulator. How do you challenge yourself to become a better driver? You drive against people who are far better than you and sure. build that. If you've got that pool, that's fine. Or if you've got an AI that can simulate that kind of challenge, well, yes, that's good. But I don't think that, I think most of these racing sort of programs are player versus player and not AI controlled machines sure yep that's another thing that i think simulating a driver's techniques or a driver's tendencies and how to combat those that's another sort of shortcoming of doing a simulator max verstappen says that he doesn't think that that'll happen but he has used and does use as you mentioned this as a tool to keep you know like during during covid especially sure yeah. he was he was training a lot using virtual sort of methods. Yep. And, I, you know, I think it's kind of, maybe this is reaching a little bit, but it's kind of like using like a bike machine to work out, right? Like it's beneficial to you. It's going to help your cardio, but you wouldn't really expect to compete in like the Tour de France only by doing a bicycle machine and then going into the Tour de France. Right. right. You know, you would like, you would have your actual biking or cycling career and then you would supplement it, let's say, with the, you know, bike machine, but right. it's kind of hard to make that just, all right, well, this is the only thing I'm doing is all I have is this virtual experience. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm going to go into an actual car where there's actual consequences of losing the rear end and slamming into a wall, you know, yeah. whereas you do, you can push as hard as you want in a simulator. And if you 
hit the wall a hundred times who cares you turn off the tv or whatever and go get a drink but (laughs) (laughs) to kind of go off your thing with bicycling right tour de france also you're dealing with other things like conservation of energy and matching someone and you can simulate things like hills and stuff but you can't simulate how you would identify someone that you can pass sure you know what you would do there's a lot of changing that goes on you know when you're doing even just a bicycle race you know there's a lot of stuff that can happen in a pack of people yep there is drag there is like when a bicycle in front of you it's it's less significant no but it's real for sure it's real yeah Yeah. i was watching the olympics and they were talking about that too actually in the cycling events yeah that they they draft each other and whatnot yeah yeah so yeah no it's real for sure yeah another thing that's difficult about that is getting the mental aspect of it too because like it like you know in a simulator you can push as hard as you want and like i said there's no consequences but you have to learn to push that hard in real life where the consequences exist where if you go off the track and slam into the wall you could get seriously injured you know being able to turn that switch off and being like not thinking about the if i don't take this corner right i could be seriously hurt and just doing it that's such a difficult part of it as well racing are there any other racing games that you play or is it just mostly this the simulator mostly i racing uh, i do play the actual like formula one video game series that they have too oh, okay um, on the playstation yeah well i play it on the pc but they it's the same one that they have for okay yeah uh, is that easier to do yeah it's a little more arcadey uh okay. i mean it's still pretty good um, but I would say like iRacing is a step above as far as that goes. I okay. mean, not that I have like a good frame of reference of what the real thing is, but right. The real simulator from my understanding. Yeah. yeah iRacing is like a step up, gotcha. um, but F1, the video game is still really good. Okay. Um, growing up, I was really big into Gran Turismo, that series. Okay. Still a big franchise. Yeah. It's still going. I think they're coming out with a new one this year. Yeah. Uh, if they haven't already, I don't even know, but, uh, that that was a great series. The idea of like starting with a really shitty car and just working your way up, uh, winning races, unlocking cars, you know, buying whatever. Yeah. And it was before, as far as I know, before Forza or anything like that. So it was like the original, like start your, um, start your way from the bottom up kind of thing. You know. Yeah. Um, do but, you yeah. do you like any of those? Um, you know that there's those that are the that are probably grounded in realism. And then there are things like Need for Speed, yeah, and and racing games like that, which are more up my alley. Sure, that sometimes have stories involved in them, but it's kind of a driving open world. At least Burnout Paradise was Burnout Paradise. Sure, there actually used to be this game called Midnight Club Los Angeles. Oh, okay, yeah, which, yeah. yeah, I it remember. Is by Rockstar, so yeah. the same people as GTA, and. Uh, that was a really fun game. You could do a lot of customization. It was open world, so you could just drive around LA essentially. Yeah. Do races, uh, whatever. I think actually, if they would remake that game, it would be a hit these days. But, yeah. Um, well, I don't know. It's always tricky with driving games. Yeah, it's that's always true. tricky. I mean, even even stuff like they put out a new. Um, they keep on putting out new Need for Speeds, but it's just like everyone's disappointed because it's not doing what they they want they did some cool things with the there was a need for speed hot pursuit game that they came out with that had an interesting component where you could impact things in the race through an app like you could connect to a race on an app 
and do things like throw down a spike strip oh, that's or cool. like so someone else and you would you know it, it would tell you on the screen that someone was noodling with the thing but they could send police helicopters after you or do certain things to change the environment and i think something like that is cool for that whole component that is it's not predictable, right? Yeah. You don't know what the heck this person's going to do or what they're going to, you know, and you have to kind of be aware of that in sure. addition to how you drive. But still, it's, you know, it's still cartoony and ridiculous that well, the whole need for speed, even though you try and do a story where it's like, oh, you infiltrate this gang of people, you're yeah. a police officer, uh, whatever. Well, you know, the whole cartoony or more enjoyable unpredictable stuff speaking in that line mario kart is a blast as well (laughs) (laughs) that was something i never really got into for the longest time but it's it's a blast i really enjoy it um you know for a while i didn't want to do it because it wasn't realistic like I, i was a racing fan growing up so for me when people talked about racing and they were like, oh yeah, I like Mario Kart. I'd be like, that's not racing. That's, you're playing Mario. <laughs> right. It's different. Yeah. You know, but now I'm a little less gatekeepy on that way. And it's, you know, it's totally different. It's just its own thing. It's like getting mad about Taco Bell, like not being Mexican food. Like right. it doesn't have it's to be. Even, yeah, it's, it's its not, own thing. It's, it's Mexican inspired. It's not really. Right. It's just yeah. same thing with Mario Kart. It's it's its own little thing. Yeah. But it, it's enjoyable it's, too. It's part know? demolition derby, part just, you know, or cartoony yeah. goofiness. And like you said, burnout. Burnout is absolutely in that. Oh, yeah. Realm. Yeah. Burnout, the, the crash based. Launching people off, off cliff sides and stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's I fun. Mean, I think they kind of threaded that needle pretty well, especially with Paradise, where. I don't think the crash dynamics were the same as what I uh, what I loved in the previous game, but it did have a lot of cool like stunt oriented and crash oriented sort of games that you know you wouldn't do in real life, right? Sure. But it was it was fun for the the fantasy of it. Yeah. And so you know, I if another burnout game came out i would give it a chance for me it's a novelty i enjoy doing it occasionally but you know that's not that's not the only thing i do like a little variety yeah i played my share fair share of arcade driving games too um have you did you play any of those driving games in the arcade yeah i was actually gonna bring that up uh, and see if you ever played uh outrun Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah, classic. Or uh, the other one to uh, cruise in USA. Yeah, yeah. There's that, and then they had the, that whole series that uh, they had uh, um, a couple of things where they sort of, you know, it was it was very cartoony, very arcadey. Yeah, yeah. Williams, I think, right? Cruising the the whole cruising series. They did a number yeah. of cruising games. Yeah, and then there was even like a. I don't remember what it was called. It might even just be like Grand Prix or something real generic, but some kind of like F1 looking arcade game too from the early 80s. Oh, I yeah. Can't, I can't think of what it's called. Really. For a while there, Sega was just cranking out the driving games. Too. Oh, yeah. Like uh, if you went to... Um, Ridge Racer? Yeah, there was also Ridge <laughs> Racer. Uh, that's an Amco property though. Oh, yeah. I um, just remember having it on the Dreamcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the Ridge Racer. I think I did have uh, a NASCAR-ish kind of one. Daytona 500 or whatever, I think. It was called Daytona something. But it was on the Dreamcast. But it was just one race, right? And oh, it was okay. Like, there wasn't... 
there were things where you would go to the arcade and you play it and they were like, Oh, if you go off into this secret area, you can, you know, like you can go off road or whatever. It was like, no, you can't. <laughs> but there was always that talk, like people in the arcade would say, Oh yeah, if you do this, you can, you know, just all, you know, baloney. Yeah. Speaking of cartoony, what about driving games like us pro trucker, American pro trucker? Oh Yeah. That's ridiculous. Or Crazy Taxi. That's another that's another driving Sega property that was yep, kind of a lot of fun. Crazy Taxi, that's true. Or, yeah. um, well, it's not similar to Mario Kart, but Crash Bandicoot also oh, yeah, had yeah. like the kart racing. Yeah. I had a Nickelodeon kart racing as well. Yeah. It seemed like a lot of people were trying to capitalize off the Mario Kart kind of craze. Oh, gosh, yeah, definitely. All kinds of different, like you could drive a SpongeBob and Sandy, right. whatever. I want to say that there was a... There was a Looney Tunes driving game. I'm sure there was. Yeah, back, I can't think of it right now. But. Yeah, but there was there was that too. too. Oh, uh, Mario Kart. So one of the things we covered on the travel show that we talked about, Tokyo, Japan. There is a thing that you can go to in Tokyo, Japan that is a basically a Mario Kart sort of thing where you drive around the streets of Japan. They've got it all marketed. So it's karting, it's go-karts on the streets of Japan, driving around in like a circuit. That's awesome, yeah. Where you would go from one location to a scenic location. They've got different, you know, quote-unquote tours. Yeah. Um, You do have to have a driver's license or at least a learner's permit to do this thing. But it's just basically, you know, you can dress up. There are people who dress up in costumes. They've got costumes for rent. You can dress up as a Mario-esque kind of thing or That's whatever. Awesome. It's it's kind of funny. And then they've got silly rules, like you can't throw banana peels in the back. You know, just like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's not Mario Kart. It's yeah. just, but I think that would be a really unique sort of experience in somewhere like Japan. It just seemed to be- That too, sounds cool. The yeah. idea of even just karting, even without the Mario kind of, I guess- aspect of it just, right just carting in the city of japan sounds cool Which is, yeah that would just be <laughs> yeah. fun in itself but it, it seems like it would be something touristy but at the same time just a unique experience yeah i would definitely do it if i was there yeah it, aren't there carting uh go-kart areas uh in uh in like a phoenix isn't there one like, yeah there's uh there's actually a couple um there's one actually called f1 factory or like race factory i don't know if it's still called that but it was for a long time yeah tucson actually just got an indoor go-kart track like Uh five or six years ago i think so you might want to look into that yeah uh and that's indoor outdoors there's a track that a family friend of mine actually uh designed oh okay yeah the muscleman honda track out uh near the pima county fairgrounds okay and I've I've been on that one go karting. That's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Have you ever gone go karting? Like not necessarily bumper carts, but like yeah, kind of uh, fast go karts. No, no, no. I, the only karting that I've done is like those, like you know, go to the mini golf place, go to sure. the golf and stuff. Go. To yeah. The, those don't go quite. They're fun. Yeah. But they they don't have the complexity that something like you know you're you're flooring it the entire time it's governed you know that yeah some carts go faster than the others it's natural it's just how it goes it's yeah. just how it goes and yeah there's a bumper aspect to it that is unrealistic but i would it's definitely fun. i would it's definitely fun. recommend going to like a track like muscleman or you know similar where you are really like pushing it and having to like crank on the wheel to turn and stuff yeah it's a blast you know especially once you've got the hang of the cart and you start getting a little more comfortable and pushing a little more 
it's uh it's a really cool feeling even yeah. if even if you're only going like 50 55 you know when you're on a little little go-kart like that it, it feels really fast you know going like 75 in my miata feels like really fast so <laughs> <laughs> downsize it even more and it's pretty much what it is but yeah. uh no it's it's a lot of fun i highly recommend it uh i haven't gone for a few years now but you know it's just a blast really liberating feeling yeah. i can only imagine what it's like to drive like an f1 car well that's like that's kind of where i brought yeah that's kind of why i brought up the whole like have you thought of these like nascar schools or like a nascar experience would probably be equivalent of the galactic star cruiser thing which yeah. just cost like five thousand dollars for two nights no and that's kind of what it is like that f4 one that we were talking about it is like a couple grand for like yeah. the one or two day uh thing but yeah. driving school but it's a very expensive sport driving that's where the sim racing comes in right uh and and i racing kind of gets dragged a little bit for being a little expensive because uh like how i mentioned off mic you have to buy the tracks you have to buy the cars that you're interested in it's kind of like a if you're not interested in NASCAR, you don't buy the NASCAR stuff. Right, kind of right. Um, pick and pick and choose which ones, which tracks, which exactly. types of races you want to be in, and it can add up. Um, you know, track is anywhere from like ten to fifteen bucks. Cars are usually like ten to twelve. Do they simulate weather? Yeah, they do. Uh, well, so rain has been difficult, so they're trying to get rain the track conditions as far as like overall temperature and whatnot does change every session it's like randomly generated okay but it's not like it's not something that changes during the cycle of the game or anything like that or uh well like the overall temperature probably does but like they haven't implemented rain yet i know okay. they, they've been working on it so it's supposedly coming probably sometime this year even to where they'll actually have rain come into the session price aside that is why sim racing is so big other than the fact that you can just do it in your house it's the cost it's you know you don't right. have to pay thousands of dollars for a driving school you can what? just fire up your computer and the overall upstart cost of it might be a little high but yeah getting you know, the, the rig return, together yeah yeah so to close out the show i've got one last question about the evolution of simulators you is there a space for combining a go-kart track with a vr component kind of like a mario kart sort of thing where they're both so it's like an augmented reality okay. like you're wearing you're driving your cart to get the feeling of everything uh on a track but there are objectives that you've got to do as a part of a race that are virtual and you have it in a virtual headset i could see something like that having appeal yeah, I really could, you know. Um, it would but, also be kind of dangerous, I think, too. But yeah, they'd have to find find a way to make that work kind of seamlessly to where you wouldn't lose sense of where you are. I guess, right. like, I know you're saying augmented reality, but even right, then, like an what what I'm saying is like an actual go kart. You put on a thing, right. you See the the environment, but they're like little things that you pick up. Like you could pick up the banana peel and you could throw it behind you, and then if the dude hits the banana peel that it automatically slows down their vehicle for yeah. a little bit or whatever. See, like, I, I think there's potential, but then, like, something like that, it, it could be real dangerous at the same time. Like, even if you can still see and stuff, if a car all of a sudden loses power like that. Oh, yeah, the person you know, behind you Yeah, know you could have somebody, you. like, drafting yeah. up behind them and then, bam, right into the back of them, so. Yeah, no, there are other considerations. For yeah. That, yeah. 
Yes. But who knows? Who knows what the future will hold as far as augmented reality and go-karting. And there could be some kind of aspect to it. Yeah. Even if it wasn't like Mario Kart-esque and if it was like more like, I don't know, capture the flag or something. I, right. I don't know how, but Or maybe something. soccer cars. Oh. Uh, yeah, let's not talk about that because we can go on that. Rocket for another, League. Another extra hour and a half probably <laughs> with you talking about Rocket League. Your closing thoughts on the word drive. Drive. Many different meanings. Uh, it could be your ambition, definitely, but it could also be driving a car. Sometimes the two can be related, like the drive to improve how fast you can drive your car. Lots of different applications. Uh, I think we've always had a general, I guess, interest as humans in going fast and, and farther and just to new areas, new heights. And I think it's all related. You yeah. know, ambition and, and racing are very closely intertwined. Driving, be it professional or it's a skill, it's pretty impressive. It's not for everyone, but I think driving can be fun. Just be safe. Yes. Always yeah. wear your seatbelt. Yes, especially when you're golfing. Yep. And if you're in an F1 car, put on your Halo device and, uh, well, it'll already be on the car, so you don't have to put it on. Yes. And, and bring your one wood. The one wood, not the two iron. Not the two, not the not the three, not the 17. I don't know if there's a yeah. 17. There's probably not. Thank you, Paul, for joining me. I had a good time. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. And so on that note, my name is Ben. And I'm Paul. And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Bye.